Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to Leadership Conversations. Leadership Conversations is a place to continue learning from the best of Michigan leaders on a variety of topics, from career progression to overcoming leadership challenges and personal growth. Many of us today here are Michigan alumni, and while we joined business school in order to expand our career trajectory and get a degree from one of the great universities, um, I think one of the biggest benefits has been the strength of this alumni network that we have, the ability to reach out and learn from each other. And Leadership Conversations was an idea that stemmed from wanting to continue this connection, uh, learning from the leaders and the best. In today's first episode of Leadership Conversations, we'll be talking specifically about leadership during COVID. It comes as no surprise to any of us that this past year during the pandemic really has been like no other, right? From basic health and safety challenges to mass layoffs, to working from home and the lines between work and personal life being blurred, just to name a few. Um, we have a diverse panel of Ross leaders who've been gracious enough to spend the next hour or so with us. And I'm very excited to introduce this panel we have Janelle Anderson, Officer of Global Marketing and Digital at American Airlines. Kirti Thutiruvari, VP of Product Design and Program at Starbucks. Joy Ghanekar, SVP and Head of Product at US Bank. And Steve Spaulding, VP of Marketing <laughs> And I'm your host, Priya Ramamurthy. I run my own consulting business where I enable Fortune 50 companies and startups on go-to-market strategies. A very warm welcome to all of our panelists and all the audience who've made some time to listen to what I'm sure will be a very insightful discussion. Um, without further ado, um, if I could go around the panel, if you could take a couple of minutes to introduce yourself, you know, some of the highlights of your career since you graduated from Ross as well as where you were this past year as it relates to this conversation. Um, maybe we can start with you, Janelle. Sure, thank you. And thank you in advance for putting this all together. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, since I left Ross, I started out at PepsiCo in what is very traditional CPG marketing. I spent 14 years at PepsiCo, the first 10 in the Frito-Lay division, and then the last uh, four across the PepsiCo, all divisions of PepsiCo, leading um, their shopper marketing function, which is essentially all the brands to the top customers. Um, so think Target, Dollar General, some of the big ones you guys know, Albertsons, Kroger, things like that, 7-Eleven. Um, so I did that at PepsiCo um, for a while and did various marketing roles throughout that. And then about three years ago, I had an opportunity to move over to American Airlines and um, totally different industry, right, than CPG yeah. marketing, but service, very different, exciting industry, um, challenging for many other reasons that are different than CPG being challenging. And I came over there and I was lucky enough to lead the global marketing function as well as the customer experience function, which includes um, all the launch designs for all of you who were formerly board warriors and spent a lot of time in animals clubs and places like that. All that, that was part of um, my team's work that we did. We also did all the Wi-Fi and entertainment, seat design, interior aircraft designs, things like that, as well as then I had um, in the latter part of my years, there is this crisis hit I acquired as well, the digital mobile and app part of the organization as well. So um, it was a wonderful run at American Airlines. I had nothing but the most amazing experience until um, I will tell you until COVID hit and I will say travel of all things got hit pretty darn hard. So I'll leave more of that for the rest of the panel discussion, but that's a quick background on me, thanks. Yeah, well, what a fantastic journey so far. And we'd love to delve in because I know travel has been one of those which has been really hit hard because of COVID. Uh, Kirti, if you don't mind going next. I'm sure, thanks Priya. Um, super excited to be part of this uh, discussion. Um, I um, graduated uh, in 2010, uh, went to school with Priya um, and uh, 
since graduating, I uh, spent a couple of years at Dell uh, doing online marketing um, for their B2B products. Um, and then um, decided to make a switch to product management, uh, went to Zynga and launched both web and mobile games, uh, um, leading product management for their casual gaming business. That was a lot of fun. Didn't ever think I'd be launching games, but um, it was great. And uh, it's always fun when you're playing games at work and you say that's competitive research that you need to do. That was nice. Um, and after spending about four years at Zynga, um, I um, came to Starbucks and um, one of the uh, funny story uh, I learned, uh, so Starbucks had reached out to Zynga to say, can I feature one of your games in uh, this feature we used to offer for our rewards members called Pick of the Week, if any of you have been Starbucks uh, members for a while. And so we looked at potentially featuring Zynga there. And that's when I got to explore the Starbucks app. And it's a brand I've always liked, but um, Starbucks has really gotten into digital in the last few years as most companies have had to, because I joke that every company is a digital company these days. You have to be because that's how customers interact with your product. Um, I've been at Starbucks now for about five years. Um, I came in to lead the product management team for the Starbucks app and starbucks.com. So any of you that use the Starbucks app, thank you for your business and please continue to use it. And um, now in the last year, um, my role expanded to look at all digital experiences across um, the customer experiences as well as the barista experiences, right? So if you think the POS in the store or the drive-through screen that you see when you go to Starbucks, um, my team sort of focuses on that. And I sort of lead the product management, the design and research team, as well as program management. So um, another company that has had to, like everybody else that has had to adapt to COVID because of all the restrictions and, and look forward to digging into that. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you, Kirti. Uh, Joy, would you like to go next? Sure. Thanks. And uh, Kirti, I didn't realize you were at Zynga, so I, I guess our paths got crossed there, which, which I'll maybe get to in a second. Hi, everyone. Uh, it's good to see some familiar faces. Hi, Wendy. Uh, it's been a while. Uh, super excited to be here as well. So I graduated from Ross in 2007 um, and, um, you know, basically decided to go into product management right after business school. So I actually had two options, either go to Seattle and work for Amazon uh, or go uh, to the Bay Area and work for Yahoo. And I chose Yahoo in the Bay Area because I just liked warmer weather. I didn't want rain all my life. But maybe that was a bad financial decision for me. So we'll talk about that later. Um, but uh, spent four years in the mobile team at Yahoo, worked on a number of products, maps and local. This was just around the time when the iPhone and the Android devices had come out. So super exciting time. It was the kind of like the wild, wild west. Cause at that time, if you guys don't remember, maybe the folks who are young, Blackberry was the thing, you know, everybody had a Blackberry Pearl. And so every, Blackberry thought that they were invincible. So it was a, it was a super interesting time. Um, spent four years there, decided that I wanted to work for a smaller company that was fast growing. And uh, Zynga was one of those companies that was just going gangbusters and they were just starting out their mobile team, although they had crazy success on the website. So I uh, was part of that early mobile team and launched a number of games at Zynga. Uh, just, you know, I thought that was great from a product management perspective. I thought they kind of almost uh, set the bar very high in terms of some of the best practices that are in the industry today. Uh, but, but really realized that gaming wasn't for me. And around the same time, uh, a mentor, my mentor from Yahoo reached out to me and he was starting a company. So I had a chance to be part of the founding team at a company called Talic, um, and we make software for small businesses. So uh, very relevant to today's discussion, but uh, you know, joined Talic in uh, 2012 and was part of that journey until 2019 when we got acquired by US Bank, as US Bank was trying to uh, really focus a lot more on software and trying to be more of a FinTech. And uh, so it's been really exciting. I mean, I, I manage the product management design and program management function at, at Talic. Um, and I think we'll talk a lot more about how COVID has impacted small businesses because what we do is our, our customers are retail shops, cafes and restaurants. And um, it's, been, it's been a very interesting journey for the last year. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, what a great ride. Thanks, Joy and Steve. All right, well, I'm Steve Spaulding. And so first off, thanks for the opportunity to talk today. Excited to be part of the panel um, and, and hear other perspectives. Um, I graduated actually in 2007 with Wendy and Joy and actually Joy and I were in the same section. 
Um, so it's sort of a nice homecoming uh, here today. Um, after I graduated, I, like many of the people on the panel, went into CPG marketing. I worked at General Mills for a couple of years and then had the opportunity to move over to ConAgra Brands and help uh, head up their marketing efforts outside of North America. So it was a really, it was a cool experience because it was a startup within this big company that had a big footprint in the US, but internationally very underdeveloped. So I spent seven years and helped grow the business and grow the brands internationally. So that was exciting opportunity. I was then starting to talk to people and they kept saying, you're an international food marketer. And I said, no, I'm a marketer who's been in food and international. So I found an opportunity to move over to Samsung, um, switch industries and, and reorient towards the US. So I helped lead their marketing um, with uh, Best Buy and driving sales at Best Buy. So in a customer marketing role and spent three years there and it was really exciting, um, but you know, wanted to try something new and uh, honestly get a smaller company feel. So uh, December of uh, 2019, so a little over a year ago, I flipped to Smead and most people say need, and I'll say no, Smead. They're the people who do the luxurious, amazing file folders. So um, it's it's a totally different industry, but I had the had had the opportunity to head up the marketing function or be the marketing lead and drive the overall business, product marketing, uh, demand generation, and uh, channel marketing in a in a family-owned company. So it's been uh, you know to to say the least, the last 14, 15 months has been an interesting journey. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of changes and seems like many of those happened, you know, soon after you joined. So thank you, Steve, for uh, joining us today. So let's jump into the kind of the crux of the conversation. You know, if you guys could, you know, talk about if take us back to maybe like a year ago, you know, March 2020, kind of paint a picture for us what was going on, you know, in your industry, in your company, some of the pivots that your company needed to make, and then as a result, kind of how it affected your team and the challenges with that, right? Um, if you don't mind, Janelle, please go ahead, get us started. Absolutely, thank you. Um, so 2020, the beginning was an incredibly exciting year in the travel industry. Um, we were beating all our numbers, which is unusual in an airline. It's a it's a tricky business in terms of margins, things like that. And honestly, we were blowing everything out of the water. More people were traveling. We were getting better pricing out of our tickets and things were going great. We had opened um, a series of new lounges. We'd opened um, a huge DFW lounge project that was just for international travel. Um, which included first-class dining on international. That was like a five-star dining. We were winning awards. We had planned to relaunch the whole American Airlines brand in April um, after doing over a year of research and getting to um, 20,000 people globally. We had a fantastic positioning, um, new ads shot and in the can. Uh, we had a press day. That was a two-day event that was coming up. We had over 80 press that were already committed to the day and we had Wall Street the week after that and some of the bankers were coming afterwards to talk about American's new chapter. So all that to say it couldn't have been better until about you know March of 2020 and actually it hit my team a bit earlier because I had a pretty decent sized team in China and Asia and they were kind of early on you know the Chinese government approached very differently the process of getting into a quarantine and it was very stringent. Um, people couldn't even get back home to their families and get to like where their parents were or wherever. And they were, the team had been, you know, we were talking to them daily and they'd be like, well, it's day 42. I haven't left my apartment, you know, things like that. And so early on in the pandemic for us, we were like, okay, well, let's work through our global teams. Let's make sure they're okay. This actually will never get to that point in the U.S. We're going to just keep going and going. And so suddenly, very quickly, as we were all working through this one night, actually it was a late night worried about what to do with our international teams. Um, president comes on and while we're sitting in the office, starts talking about shutting down the US. And um, that was an incredible moment that no one could have predicted you know we're sitting around the president's in with me we're sitting around the chief customer officer all this and we're like what do you do next like what do you do 
And they're like, we'll get the, all the teams into the office tomorrow to talk about it. I'm like, no, I think, I don't think we can do that actually. I think the opposite is happening. Um, and so it really became a complete just turnaround. And so we quickly became, it's funny because marketing in an airline, people used to say, you know, you kind of have to make some noise to make sure you're top of the strategy pyramid there. However, suddenly the communication strategy became the only thing anyone cared about. How do we communicate with people who have tickets, people who need to travel, the government, the regulators, the, you know, our own employees who were terrified and frightened as well. Um, American's a huge company, as you know, it's 130,000 employees with all the frontline employees. And that's a lot of people to communicate who are then immediately getting worried about what's next. My flights get canceled, like my trips get canceled. Will I be able to pay my rent this month? And so I would say, quite honestly, we had a crisis on all fronts, um, whether it was internal employees, all the way up to the regulators and the government and things like that. And so we really had to shift very quickly to become, and I said, I told my team, I suddenly became like the queen of clean. I went to school about everything you could learn about clean to be able to launch clean commitments, to talk to people about it. But my team went from a team that was working a lot of hours and working really hard to a 24 seven team because it was it literally, the policies were changing by the hour. You, you publish one policy, you get marketing comms out there, you get it out to the email, you get it up on the website. And by noon that day, the government had shifted and something had changed or a different state had shut down or a different country had shut down. And so it was literally like, it was going back to school in comms on every single thing and trying to keep people informed. And so you know, in a matter of a few weeks, we went from kind of being on this pinnacle to like having to get down to, hey, how are we going to even keep people, you know, informed about what's going on because everyone was so confused. So many, many more details around that, but I'll pause there because I'm sure everyone has many crazy stories, but I will tell you the travel industry was insane <laughs> during that yeah. time. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. And that's a huge challenge, not just for your team, but then also for you in terms of taking that responsibility and feeling for them. So, and we'll jump into that a little bit as we get further, but you know, your comment regarding China, I remember Kirti telling me about this as I've talked to her about, you know, through the pandemic. So Kirti would love to kind of hear what, what was going on at your end. Yeah, sure. Um, a lot of similar themes to what Janelle talked about, right, in terms of the speed at which things were changing. Uh, to your point, though, we have a, a Starbucks has a very huge presence in China. So we sort of had, um, we've been following this since like late December and January, right? And um, the big change we had to make was um, our stores, most everybody in this call has been to a Starbucks. We have three channels, right? So we have drive-throughs, we have cafe where you walk up, place your order, and then we have mobile ordering, right? You can order on the phone and then you pick it up. What we found was we had to shut down some channels as we were working through the mask mandate, shut everything down, phase one, phase two. So we actually very quickly, the company had to pivot to having different modes of operation. So we'd say we're going to 4A now, or we're going to 4B now, because this is what each state needs. Um, so, um, but I would also say the having worked through this in China, when it came to the US, it got a little more organized because we had had the heads up, right? Oh, that we needed to make some of these uh, plans. And in terms of how it affected my team, um, uh, the big one, I, I lead the technology team, right? And a big part of what we had to do if we were shutting down the cafe channel or something else is we had to start giving you more options to interact digitally. So we had to quickly introduce curbside pickup, right? And that was in our roadmap for later, but we got to pull it forward because that was one way in which we had to uh, react. So there was requests coming at us from all sides uh, because there were things we were all trying to mobilize quickly and uh, the team and I had to quickly come up with new processes, similar to what Janelle said, right? Like overnight, you're suddenly like, hold on, we don't have a plan for things like this. Let's put new forums in place. What is the new decision-making criteria? And also decisions had to move so much faster than any of the timelines you were used to pre-COVID, right? You have to make turnarounds very quickly. So one of the interesting developments was how streamlined decision-making got. 
in COVID by virtue of necessity. I'm sure Janelle, you know, responds to that too, which is you just very quickly said, okay, everybody doesn't have to be brought along. We're just going to nominate a bunch of people who are going to make the action and run with whatever they say, right? And so that was interesting because I've never some, seen certain decisions being made at that speed just because we had to. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah. Joy, can you walk us through a little bit of, you know, what you face? Thank you so much, Kirti. Yeah, and just echoing Kirti's uh, sentiments as well as Janelle's. I mean, I think, so it was interesting because personally, uh, so there was kind of almost four components to this, right? Is what, how do you manage the business? How do you manage your employees? How do you manage your customers? And how do you manage your family life? And sort of you as a leader kind of have to manage all four aspects of this to a certain extent. So personally, I mean, I was I basically just closed a new house and, you know, when the lockdown happened, it was the weekend I moved. So that was just on the personal side was very challenging just to even move in and settle in while this was happening. On the, on the business side, uh, we were closing uh, a new lease for a new office in Palo Alto. And um, so we were almost ready to sign this deal and we were getting signals that they may be uh, closures coming. And so we decided to postpone it, thank God we did. And we decided to extend the lease on our existing facilities. I think, you know, I, I'm looking back at the data and I see that, you know, there, we all knew that there was some sort of, uh, you know, closures coming, but no one understood the sort of the the way the impact happened was so sudden. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, just to give you a data point, you know, looking at our data, we went, we had 50% drop in sales activity in one day. That's when the shutdowns took place in California, uh, in Texas and Florida, some of our biggest states. So you can just imagine from a forecasting perspective or what that does to the team where, you know, you suddenly see a 50% drop in sales. So that was just significant. I think to echo uh, some of the points the other folks have made, we had to really move fast and we were part of a bank and coming from a startup, we were very used to making decisions very quickly. And so we knew that we had to do a few things. So one of the things we did was we decided to, at least for our customers, forgive a lot of the uh, recurring software fees that we charge them. So we decided to basically, you know, forgive them for the next six months. We started offering our online ordering products for free, but to even get the communication out to the customers, there's a process you have to go with through a bank. And I remember there were some really tense calls uh, with some of the folks on the legal and compliance teams to say, I said, people are hurting right now. You just need to make this decision. We can be imperfect in, in kind of the absence of all the data. And no one's going to be slapping us on the wrist if we're doing good on the customer. So I think sometimes you go out with imperfect information and you make decisions even if they're if they're not right. Uh, I know we're going to talk about the employee piece, but but I think you know all of this was being managed at a time when we were actually hiring very aggressively as well. Interestingly enough, even though there were layoffs happening maybe in some segments of the economy, the bank was heavily investing in our team, and so trying to hire and even even kind of just do a completely remote process was was quite 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 challenging wow yeah sounds like a lot going on yeah um steve would love to hear about your experience i know you moved to a very different kind of company and we were talking about that before the call so if you could give a little bit of shed a little bit of light on that as well Sure, just as a little context, and I said up front, Smeed's a family-owned company, fourth generation, been around for 115 years. It is in uh, paper-based office products, so you can probably imagine what the overall category is doing. And part of the reason they brought me in is to help transform and, and transform the organization and pivot into to new and growing spaces. And so I think the, the immediacy and, you know, the, as usual, Joy has a great framework how to, how to discuss it. So I really appreciate that. And, and not to be too repetitive, I think really there was the crisis phase and the crisis phase immediately, I, I had sort of a, a benefit, if you will, is that my wife is an epidemiologist and she, she was like, this is going to be bad. This is going to be really bad. So about a week and a half before the U.S. shut down, I walked into my COO's office and like, this isn't going to go well. And he was like, I, I don't know. I was like, no, we need to get ready. And, and literally at that point of our headquarters staff of 150 people, only 15 had laptops. And so literally in that crisis phase, it was like, we rallied the leadership team. We aligned on like, we need to, to drive to mobility. So what is the technological capabilities we need and we we sat down and we started message planning of like okay who do we need to talk to internal external stakeholders 
And then it was, um, you know, working with the operations people because we needed to keep everybody safe and we needed to motivate people there. So it was just really it, it, in the crisis phase, business, you know, in a way, business as choice sort of talked about, we were just trying to make sure that we were doing right by our internal employees and communicating effectively and then by our customers. And then we were almost like, okay, and then we can worry about what the, the implications are to our, our long-term business and what we need to do. Um, and yeah. then, yeah. Wow, so there was like a, almost like a fast forward digital transformation going on along with the whole situation. Just Yeah, I mean, prior to that, we couldn't, it was a very time clock oriented culture. Um, and we went virtual in the span of less than a week and a half. It was, for, for Smead, it was like, we, we caught up to the early early 21st century. Wow. We're now in, the, we're now in about 2020. So we're, we're still maybe a little behind, but we're doing a lot better. <laughs> I've always appreciated your candidness, Steve. Thank you for that. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, a number of you guys touched upon, you know, obviously with travel, you know, and, you know, even retail, uh, in general, from a cultural standpoint, there's always been kind of this a little bit of culture of, you know, always having your game face on, whether it was your employees or even you guys as leaders. Uh, and now with like the, you know, lines being blurred between hope, work and home and, you know, Tell us a little bit about kind of how things have changed with COVID, you know, good, bad, you know, not just the, hey, my child is going to be there in the background, but even in terms of, you know, the constant changing of the message, you know, as Janelle was talking about, literally sometimes every hour or two hours, right? Uh, so how do you kind of, how did you all communicate that and how did you handle it? Because, you know, information is changing on you at all times. And, you know, I'd love to kind of open it up so we can go round Robin. We don't have to, but, you know, anybody who would love to go first is great. Um, I'm happy to go first. Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, we're all sort of facing this ourselves. So. And, and it's interesting because it affects people different ways. So there's all the practical aspects of working from home, which is just uh, to, to Steve's point, getting you know, equipment in homes where people can actually be productive. You know, a lot of people live in apartments. They don't have just the basics of, you know, how do you set up two monitors in your, on your desk if you don't even have a space that's large enough. So there was, there was a lot of kind of, there's just the sort of basic bread and butter tackling of, of how do you work from home. Then I think there's sort of the next level, which is more the sort of psychological aspects of working from home. Now it affects sort of different groups of people differently. So there's the folks who are married with young kids like myself, where, you know, like my kids have been distance learning since last year. And, you know, it creates an interesting dynamic where work and sort of uh, family life blurs together. I'm out there making lunch when I'm on calls and I think there's a certain level of comfort that everybody's just gotten into that people understand you're on calls while you're making lunch or your kids are screaming and, and that's all accepted. The younger people, interestingly, have had different issues, which is they've had cabin fever issues where, you know, people who've been used to going to work and see work as a place where they socialize and connect with other people, uh, they just find it very sort of frustrating to be at home for eight hours a day on Zoom calls, especially if you're in creative fields like designers, they want to be able to collaborate on a whiteboard. And it's frustrating to be able to just have to do everything through a screen. Um, so I think there's a few things that, you know, people have kind of figured out their own balance, if you want to call it their own Zen, which is like taking a break, going for a walk. I've been doing a lot of skip level one-on-ones. I haven't, you know, like just because to connect with folks and to see how folks are doing. Uh, and then the last thing is uh, you have to find ways that people can connect with other people on the team in an informal manner outside of the regular meetings, which tends to be exhausting sometimes because you know you constantly have to be on, so as to speak. Yeah, yeah. Anybody else would love to hear your thoughts as well? I know Janelle, we talked a little bit about this, you know, in terms of just what was going on in the company and, you know, with some layoffs and things like that. So would love to kind of hear your take on that as well. Yeah, it, it became pretty evident as we shut down an airline that there would be layoffs coming. It didn't take people very long to figure out that you can't lose um, the kind of money we were losing. 
when the crisis hit, we were losing about $120 million a day. And, you know, a few months later, we were like, oh, we're doing so great. We're down to only losing $50 million a day. You know, we were like high-fiving um, virtually, but, you know, that's not sustainable, obviously. And so people knew. And <clears throat> so I was, you know, we were managing the fact that there was so much work. It was changing so quickly. We were having to communicate constantly, you know, all the other trouble with, you know, people's internet not working or what have you. But I had um, a lot of fear on my teams, like in a tremendous amount of fear, because when you're losing that kind of money, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out what's going to come and what's going to come quickly. Um, so we we moved into, you know, my mantra was with the team is I can't tell you what the numbers are going to look like. I can only be transparent that there will be layoffs coming. Um, I spoke to the team every morning to start the day at, you know, 8.30 for the team. Um, and, you know, for me, the biggest thing was just to try to be really transparent, authentic, and compassionate because people were scared and I was getting texts all day long. I just had a baby. I'm the only one in my family that works. We just bought a new house, you know, like, can you do, and, you know, I was getting, you know, 50 of those a day in on top of all the other chaos. And so for me, it was, it was really a crisis of leadership for things I couldn't fix. Every other leadership crisis before I've been able to solve things, at least for the majority of people, you pick a direction, you act, you move forward. Here we were picking directions, acting, it wasn't working, we were changing, but even the best outcome of those directions weren't going to be the ones that any of us had ever dreamed, wanted, or needed to have as an outcome. And so that was a very, very difficult part for my team. And, you know, all I could do is, you know, I spent a lot of time on Zooms crying with my team because I was like, it's nobody's fault. And this is not anyone's fault. Um, on top of that, um, when you have a big team, when we had all the um, unfortunate, horrible, you know, incidents that happened with yeah. the black community in America and then the protests. And on top of that, people were scared, not only for their jobs, but for their families. Some of them were scared because they were black, you know, or they had dear friends who were black. People were afraid for family members who were in certain parts of cities. Um, it became honestly, almost like a humanitarian, like a mi miniature humanitarian crisis in terms of all those emotions that went with it. And, you know, I just, you know, I got to the place where I couldn't, I didn't have any of the answers and all I could do was to try to empathize with them and talk about it and say, you know, let's talk about the open forum and just talk about how sad we all are about the condition of the world, the condition of the country, the condition of what is going on, because, you know, Again, when you have a team that's that big, it is it, it's much broader than a business crisis at that point. Like like I said, people were having family crises, people were having crises with, you know, what was going on in America, especially. And it it just it was it was a really really hard time. And all you could do is be as transparent as possible. Um, and yeah. when I did learn something, even the bad news, I was always the first to tell my team and tell them as directly as possible because I just, that was the commitment I could make to them is to be transparent. I couldn't commit to saving jobs. I could only commit to transparency and authenticity. Yeah, and I'm sure they, uh, they really just value that because I think everybody at some level understands that a lot of this was really out of everybody's control. So, well, thank you for sharing that. That's, uh, you know, it's great to see when leaders actually are empathetic and authentic, you know, that's kind of what you want. Sometimes if you feel like there's this ceiling or, you know, this wall and people don't really understand, that's when I think things become a little bit more challenging for everybody. Um, Steve, Kirti, any, uh, anything you would like to add? No, I think they covered it really well, just the transparency authentic. And, and the one thing um, that I would just say, and I think it was implicit in what they both said is modeling that behavior is important. The teams look to you, if you say take time off and you are working 24 seven, right? The teams are like, did they really mean it? Or was it just, you know, not walk, just lip service, right? So I think um, 
just this emphasis on modeling whatever behavior we were asking from the team, right? If it was to take time for yourself, you have to do that. If you're saying switch off for a bit, you've got to do that too. So that was just my one ad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know, along the same lines, right? When you think about it from a cultural standpoint, you know, obviously certain companies did better off, you know, in this pandemic compared to others just based on industries and things like that. And how did you guys kind of manage to even kind of maintain team morale given all of these challenges and some of the points that, you know, Joy mentioned as well, right? Some people are just more collaborative either because of their work or their personality or, you know, a variety of different reasons. Was there anything that you guys were able to do, you know, uh, given the very, very kind of tight restrictions and circumstances? Um, no, sorry, um, I can go first. Um, uh, so Starbucks has a cultural thing where we do uh, coffee tasting as part of um, a start of any big meeting and even a small meeting, right? And it's a bit of a cultural thing. and. Um, when we moved to um, working remote, we were like, how do you do a coffee tasting? And you should have seen the most creative coffee tastings we've had. People have generated viral videos where they're like bringing a cup closer to the camera, handing it off to the next person. And six people are brewing coffee together. And teams have gotten creative, like holiday events. People did like chocolate tasting. They did, you know, group um so it's so I think a couple of things to Joy's point, you've had to be very intentional about understanding the differences that people, different things motivate different people. And then just letting your teams be creative, because I think COVID's also like vacations are out. You can't travel too much. You can't go to restaurants. So people are getting creative. So giving people the permission to be creative has been huge. Um, so that is some of the things we've just done uh, to make sure that the work doesn't stop, but how do you also have some fun, right? Even in the remote format. So. Yeah, yeah. I need to go check out these videos. I'm sure a number of us would love those. Uh, Steve, you were going to say something? No, I think it's interesting because the I talked a little bit about it. Uh, I was intentionally trying to tr change the culture of my team and ultimately the organization to be much more performance-based and less on literally punching the clock. So in a way, again, after that first two or three weeks where nobody knew what exactly was going on and we were just trying to be real, trying to be transparent, and I think Janelle expressed it very, very well. You're just trying to be with them and communicate and, and be real. Mm -hmm. um, moving past that, it, it then was... Honestly, the, the the shift helped because I could I could encourage them to say, okay, I don't care if you're online at 801. We have these deliverables and sort of focusing on what is the business transformation we need to make, what are what are we seeing and what are and, and really focusing them on um, you know what we're trying to achieve and making sure that we're clear on deliverables. So in a way, um, in a weird twisted way, COVID really helps move that that along i think the, the the challenge is around connectivity and having that water cooler talk that you know we we, we try to emulate that through technology where possible and encourage you know team meetings and one-on-ones and and what have you and i think you know probably very similar results to what other people saw and it's certainly not the same but um yeah so it was i it helped it ha overall this process really try to take advantage of it to, to further the business. Yeah, yeah, sounds like it. We can do a lot with technology, but at the end of the day, you know, we are humans who need a little bit more. So I'm sure all of us are waiting for this to kind of end, maybe not go back to what things were before, but somewhere along the realm of things. But, um, you know, one of the points along that, you know, was that, you know, as we all as leaders, you know, humans and, you know, I was wondering, especially, you know, kind of what was your professional or personal support system as you guys went through this and had multiple bad days in a row or, you know, just frustrations around a variety of different things would love to kind of see that because, you know, sometimes people look at leaders and say, oh, this person should have been doing that or that person should have been doing this or, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, we, we all understand there is a little bit of, you know, we have to figure out a way to make ourselves feel as whole as possible in order to kind of show up the way we would like to with our team. 
would love to kind of understand how how you guys manage that to the extent possible and what was your support system around that would you like to yeah, go ahead janelle yeah, i was going to say it's funny because um i see a few other people who jumped in from my my class everyone would say i'm a 100% an extrovert and i am 100% an extrovert. So for those of us who are extroverts, this time was tough. And the normal things that I would usually do to clear my head and stuff were just, they were difficult because of the other pressures, like, you know, administering tests for your children in school and things like that. So you didn't, you know, I'm one of those people that I run to clear my head or I exercise to clear my head. Well, that a lot of that time was actually getting sucked up by what my kids needed too. And so it was it was very difficult to do that. And so I had to kind of almost go back and rebuild my own schedule and be really purposeful about it. And so I started going in and doing things like, you know, telling my team, you can't call me between these hours because I'm going for a run or I'm going to scream at y'all. So like, you know, you just started to be like, you guys gotta, if you really need me, call me, but I'm out running. And I'd even tell my boss that I'd be like, I just, I need this time to do that. And so, um, and we try, you know, like many of us found a lot of great things to do with our families that we've never done before. So like my youngest started running with me, which was cool. And so there were some things like that, as all of us saw a lot of silver linings um, in, in what we were doing and that kind of stuff as well. But I found for me, um, the normal support system, which for me is very external, it's just been very social, um, it just, you couldn't do some of those things. Um, we did, you know, get very creative very quickly about happy hours on patios and things like that in backyards and, you know, um, fortunate enough to be at, I actually quarantined for a while at our lake house and so we tied the boats together and happy hour that way as well, but um, it, it, it was really, really difficult to feel like yourself and lead others when the stuff that you normally would do got taken away as well. So um, you had to be much more purposeful than I've ever had to be about things that, you know, help me clear my head. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Um, anyone else would like to share kind of how they deal, dealt with it? Go ahead, Kirti. Um, one of the things we, um, I'm going to use a work example. Um, so um, you talked about the personal and professional boundaries are blurring, right? And um, one of the things we discussed a lot at work is um, almost to survive through COVID together, we had to let the personal and professional um, lines go away a little bit and start getting very candid, right? And it's less about me knowing particulars of another person's life, but at least I need to know this person on my team is dealing with something. So there can be the right empathy for it, right? So we started encouraging teams to at least share as comfortable as they were, just so we could all be kind to each other and extend grace and all of that good stuff. And I don't think in all of my career, I've ever had one-on-ones where we're like, we're not gonna talk about work. We're just gonna talk about both of us, right? And I don't know the number of one-on-ones where you're just checking on each other's family and you're checking on each other's, you know, well-being and, and and like, what are you doing to decompress? And you're like, why have you not taken your next vacation, right? And you're collectively taking care of each other. And I think I've never had such candid conversations at work. And I think that's just not my team. It, it became a company culture thing, just so we could all get through this together, right? So um, that became a bit of an extended support system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds like it. It's hard to survive a little bit without that. Uh, Joy, Steve, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think just maybe to add a few, uh, I mean, for me, it's been my, obviously my family and beyond that, uh, we have a close circle of friends that actually are all Michigan alums and our kids know each other. So we kind of formed a pod and that became a weekend ritual where, you know, when things were kind of opened up slightly and you'd, you'd basically every weekend, like clockwork, we'd be you know, WhatsApping or on signal with each other saying, what are the plans for the weekend? And the funny thing is, you know, a lot of these folks are in the same industry, so we can share war stories and sometimes you don't have the answers. So you can kind of bounce things off of each other and see what's working and what's not. I think on the other side as well, like um, my leadership team on, uh, you know, we are very close with each other. We've known each other for many years. And so 
it was a you know every every kind of Monday when we get together, we we just discuss kind of what happened last week, and it, you know, some of these conversations were quite personal, you know, around someone maybe whose family members got COVID, and it's you know we, we kind of dealt with folks who had death as well in their families, and so over time you kind of become vulnerable, uh, and and you kind of learn a lot about other people as well, and. Um, I think the other thing is, you know, people sometimes, you know, we feel as leaders, it's like everyone looks to you for an answer, but actually if you uh, kind of flip the script a little bit on your employees and kind of ask them for help, it's quite empowering for them as well. Cause they, you know, you'd be surprised. I mean, we decentralized a lot of decision-making and said, I don't have an answer for this. What's a good way for us to figure out how do we restructure our processes? And a lot of individual contributors ran with it and they figured it out. And so that helped me a lot because it, felt like I didn't have a lot of pressure to basically have to solve everything for the team. Yeah, yeah, I'm seeing a lot of nodding all around. So that's uh, definitely something I think a lot of us have seen, you know, faster decision making, as well as kind of empowering folks, you know, where otherwise there might have been a different expectation. Steve, I know you mentioned your wife was an epidemiologist. So in addition to all the pressures you had, I think there was a lot of pressure on her. How did you scope? <laughs> Well, I mean, I think people have touched on it. It's, you know, you're trying to take care of, obviously you're trying to take care of the, your family and your loved ones, your extended family, um, yourself, and then your your team. And so it's really figuring out, you know, again, very similar themes of like time management, but prioritizing things that you need to do to be functional um, and, 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 and then supporting your family. And so it's just, it was just a, a constant juggling act where you know I would constantly look at the day and say, okay, you know, where are we going to do it? And then you know my wife and I talked about this uh, prior to this officially beginning. She she deals in infectious diseases, so she literally for the first time in our professional career she had the most stressful, burdensome job. And and thankfully, honestly, thankfully my job allowed me a little more flexibility. So I took on more of the, the family household duties where we try to normally split it. I was taking on 80 plus percent of it, just trying to give her the bandwidth to, to, she's also an extrovert. So she was like, this is my nightmare of like, I'm an extrovert in an infectious disease pandemic. Like, so yeah, I mean, so it was just, it was just again, trying to find that balance to the various parts of your life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing. This has been great. You know, before we open it up to questions, I want to kind of say, you know, based on what we have seen for the, this past year, how, do you guys think of any kind of long-term changes, you know, that might come about, you know, thanks to COVID, you know, which otherwise either were pushed to the back burner or just a change in the way things were done, either in your company or your industry, would love to kind of learn a little bit about that before, you know, I would love to open it up for audience questions after that. I mean, I'll, I'll start. I mean, I think I would never obviously wish a pandemic in any circumstance. If there is a tiny, tiny benefit to this all is that it has pushed the urgency to make needed changes to my business based on the ramifications, that would be the only really the only positive. Obviously, there's so much devastation, so I want to be crystal clear, like, this has been a nightmare year for everybody, and I, I hope it is in the rearview mirror, but that would be the one thing, is that it just gave such a sense of urgency that it enabled me and the leadership team and the entire organization to make the necessary changes to, to chart a better course. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll maybe add a couple of more points out here. So one is, I mean, at least my industry, which is, you know, small business has obviously gone through a significant amount of transformation. So we went, we went through this process last summer where we spoke to business, all sorts of our customers, partners, and, you know, there's a few trends. I think one is just obviously transformation, digital transformation is the joke is that the chief digital officer of every company is COVID now because you kind of have to figure it out. And so, you know, even though we were much more prepared for it, I think the overall bank has to fundamentally rethink um, how they're thinking about digital. So that's, that's just an impact to the business. I think specifically for our customers, you're seeing a lot of new models develop. So you're seeing a lot of ghost kitchens and cloud kitchens. I think this was a trend that was happening before. 
But now, I mean, if you open up DoorDash or Uber Eats, a lot of these businesses on those platforms aren't even, don't have a physical location. They just have a kitchen and mm-hmm. delivery. And so it's, it's basically business figuring out how to run a new business with a much smaller foot, foot, footprint with no maybe dine-in type capabilities and also having to retool and refigure that, uh, uh, sort of retool their, their space and layout. Uh, so that's been another big one. Another one I'll just quickly add is a lot of first time entrepreneurs. So a lot of folks who were affected by the COVID pandemic who were laid off, um, they were maybe working in industries and they had a passion about starting a small business. And we're just seeing a significant rise in a number of new businesses that are being started by first time entrepreneurs. So I think that's gonna you know, lend itself to a lot of interesting business models where people running online businesses out of their house uh, or maybe even rethinking the, the whole concept of what a small business means. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, probably things can be done maybe quicker, faster, and with less capital costs than probably was required in the past. Kirti, go ahead. Um, I just saw a question pop up on the chat. So I wasn't sure if you wanted to switch to that or not. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Why don't we go into that? Let's see. I haven't kept track of the questions yet. Did your experience in the pandemic change how you think about building teams and what types of characteristics you should look for in hiring? Anyone who would like to go or Keithi, I don't know if you were looking to answer this one. I can can take a shot at it. It it, it is probably tied to the, your, my response to your previous question too, of just in addition to the innovation um, pace that has increased that Joy was talking about, right? I think one of the things that's here to stay is more remote working and more flexibility in work styles, right? Almost every company has some sort of, nobody is assuming that people are gonna go back to five days at work, right? Everybody thinks it's gonna be some form of that, right? So to that effect, I think what it is going to do is, um, I think the talent pool for hiring is no longer just restricted to your physical location of where your company is based. And I think that really opens up the talent pool quite nicely. I also think um, it's going to change the way companies think about um, running meetings and decision making, right? For instance, one of the things Starbucks is doing, even back in October, Starbucks made a call to say, we've heard enough, people want to work in a more flexible style, we're going to redo our office. So we shut it down and said, until October of 2021, everybody's going to work from home because we're going to re like retrofit the office to add more collaboration space, to make every conference room and every space um, linked up to video conferencing so that we can always support people working remote, right? So I think going forward, um, the traditional, this will take a while to kick in, but I do think the traditional expectation of this is what good communication looks like, this is what good collaboration looks like, you have to be there in person, is going to get re-looked at. It will take a longer time, but I do think Um, Just to stay competitive in the industry, I think companies have to think about support for remote work and all of that. We are already seeing people take new jobs because there is the flexibility to be 100% remote, right? So, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's great in really being able to kind of get the right talent pool, no matter where they are. That's that's huge. Um, Anybody want to add to this? Any other questions from anybody else in the audience? Or have we answered all the questions here? <laughs> go. Yeah, oh. go ahead, Shane. <laughs> um, first of all, thank you all for sharing your stories. It sounds like you were really put to the test in the past year. and. Thank you for all of your efforts. I hope to be flying American Airlines and I certainly am still drinking Starbucks coffee. So I appreciate everything. And I definitely have the file folders. <laughs> so I belong to a different bank, but anyway. Um, so, but thank you so much for all your efforts. And I'm I'm sure I'm just speaking for all your teams. Like I'm sure everyone really appreciated your, your, your strong efforts and leadership. Um, so my question is, um, you know, as you reflect on everything you went through, I'm sure you have moments you're really proud of, um, maybe even privately and moments you're like, geez, I could have done this differently. I'm just curious, like, what are some of the things that you think are going to be long lasting in terms of your own approach to leadership? Um, Something that, you know, maybe you can take, you know, for the next year or in your next role, um, or that you might want to share with your teams. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll answer that. I think for me, the transparency of my personal emotions um, is probably the thing that I learned during this crisis that the team actually responded to because when you don't have the answers, right, that's part of the whole problem. And when you're suffering from the same issues that everyone's suffering from, right, the, the loneliness, the, you know, worried about jobs, worried about all that, you know, um, I, I think for me, that's a lesson that I learned that people really respond, even when you show up and you cry because you don't have the answers, people actually do respond to that. Um, you know, like I said, I had a, a really hard time because I ended up having to lay off 70% of my international team and about 35% of my US team. And so it was a very, very sad time. And there's just simply no way to get rid of that many people who were that good that did nothing wrong and not feel sad and show that emotion. And I, I'm happy I learned that it's okay to be that emotional at work because people do believe you're honest then and trust that even though you can't fix everything. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, another question actually for my brother. One of the concerns from the pandemic has been work-life balance with the blurring of professional and personal lines. How do you encourage your teams to take time off and to unplug? You know, I think it's been talked a little bit about it. One is just modeling it and being very vocal about how you're modeling it. Um, the second is just sort of being very clear about what the expectations are and aren't. Obviously, I think, I mean, if you haven't gathered, my company is in a little bit of a different space. So it's it that has it's been more pushing in the opposite direction, but it's just about clear, clear communication, what your expectations are, and then modeling it and then being transparent about it. Yeah, absolutely. Any other questions from anybody else? Or if as panelists, you would like to talk about something that maybe did not come up today yet. Well, oh yes, Danny has one more question. Once we are back in the office, do you think that how we work within teams will revert back to usual? I think some of you answered this a little bit, but do you, I guess he has a broader point in terms of, you know, is it just easy to kind of go back to years of, you know, what people are used to versus not and how to kind of, drive it in the right fashion, maybe for your organizations, if you see some of it not necessarily working out for the larger company. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll, I can talk about this a little bit. I mean, I think there's going to, and you know, we don't know what it's going to look like, um, but I suspect that what will most likely happen is that when things open up, there'll be this sudden sort of, in, you know, uh, sort of uh, huge spurt of travel and wanting and people wanting to connect with their teams. And I think it'll probably kind of revert to the mean and the mean might be something a little bit above what it is right now, which is, it's gonna be uh, as you know, Katie mentioned a flex work schedule. So people are gonna work two days from home and three days maybe come into work. And when they come into work, the you know it's gonna be much more deliberate as to why you wanna come into work. It's gonna be much more focused around maybe you're planning for a project or you're doing a design session or you're maybe doing a major sales call or whatever it might be. And so those interactions at work are going to be much more uh, sort of, I would say meaningful and, and deliberate as opposed to let's just every day drive into work at nine o'clock or eight o'clock and you know have to spend an entire nine, 10 hour, eight hour day out there, uh, which I think is good. I think for, for all of us, because I think many of us work in kind of the knowledge economy. So you need that sort of uh, time to basically be able to do focused alone thinking as well as maybe go and collaborate with people. Um, and I think remote teams is here to stay. So I actually think it's a good thing because it, like Kriti mentioned, it expands the talent pool significantly. We already had a presence in Lithuania and in India. And, and now, you know, this is the mean now. I mean, this is the default, which is like, can we make this position remote? Because we know we have the tools to make it happen. So, you know, let's just do that. Yeah, absolutely. Kirti, did you want to add something to this? Um, no, just on top of what Joy was saying, the one thing we've talked about in our leadership conversations is how do we, after we get to that mode, right, um, also evolve the way we talk about 
talent and performance conversations and not evaluated by old standards where everybody was present in the office, right? There's definitely a bit of worry that if somebody, right, Janelle's example of someone who's extroverted wants to come in five days a week, that should be allowed too. And if somebody wants to work five days remote, that should be allowed too. And we should have a model that allows for all of it. But if we apply old yardsticks of measurement, are we going to unintentionally penalize folks that are more remote based, right? So we definitely talked about how do we evolve some of the practices we have around uh, performance and talent conversations to make it uh, equitable to everybody, right? And have that be a fair system. I think that's also going to be a work in progress. It'll be figured out as we roll it out and try it out, but yeah. Yeah, no, thank you for bringing that up. That's actually a really very conscious decision that has to be made and has to be brought up because it's easy to kind of revert back to the way things were done or the unconscious kind of way that everybody had it, you know, before the pandemic. So, um, well, thank you everybody for taking the time, all of our panelists and, you know, for the insightful questions from our audience. Um, as I mentioned before, we will be sharing this recording if you had to step out for a few minutes, but there's more conversations to come. And really thank you everybody in this audience. It's been such a pleasure to reconnect with many of you and you know, meet new folks such as Janelle. So thank you again for taking the time and uh, I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.